now, let's get into the memory verses that we've been working on, as Jewel mentioned. I um, have them for us to kind of look at. Why don't you stand again? And let's, uh, let's recite this together. Shall we? Here we go. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Not bad, let's try it one more time, shall we? Let's crank it up just a little bit, here we go. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And on we go. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One more time. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. But God has demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet his enemies, he laid down his life on our behalf. All right, let's take a moment. Father God, we we praise and thank you for your word. Grateful to be here, gathered together here in in church this morning. Thank you for everybody who's with us this morning, the effort that was made to get out here and, and to be here this morning, families all together. And so we just thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our life. Thank you for the call that you have placed in our life to come out of this broken, messed up world and into the kingdom of God and become sons and daughters by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we thank you that you have made all this possible. God, we praise you that you've welcomed us into the family. While you, you demonstrated your love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ came and gave his life for us. That's how we know what your love is all about. Because you could not have given anything more You couldn't have done anything better than what you did. So we thank and praise you, Lord God. And now as we're gathered, we pray that uh, as we preach the word and share some teaching here this morning, we just ask that you give us a receptive heart. May may the, uh, the inward part be fertile ground where your word can be planted and where it can grow and where it can bear excellent fruit so that we might be able to glorify your name. So have your way here this morning, Lord God. Be honored, be praised, be glorified, be worshiped, be exalted in our midst, and we'll thank you for all the good things that will be forthcoming, because we pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake and all of God's good-looking people said. All right, good, you may be seated. The Freedom Church, where all the men are strong, all the women are good-looking, and all the children are above average. That's us, baby. And all the jokes are stolen, or borrowed. From here or there. Okay, so here's our uh, title for you this morning. And I'm going to try to bring all of this to a conclusion this morning. Pray for me. We'll see if we can actually pull that off, right? But we've been been at this, this basic theme of God's word and the power of God's word and it being a spiritual weapon. The title this morning is The Word. 
God's word, the ultimate spiritual weapon in terms of the spiritual conflict, in terms of this spiritual engagement, you know, of course, I trust that you are in a war. Did you realize that? Okay, we are in a war. The minute that you signed on in faith, the minute you opened your heart to be a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you realized it or not, you became a soldier in a great battle, in a great contest. Jesus has already won, so the contest has already been fully decided. When he laid down his life, he was able to say, it's finished. That's why we're more than conquerors. He's the conqueror. We are the ones that go in and pick up the spoils. We pick up the spoils from, you know, where, where, where the Lord, because the work that he has done has brought salvation to this world. So now we're just looking to find out who's on board. And so we share the love of God. We share the, the, the word of God with people that we know. Um, because there are people that when, if you speak to them, they're going to come to faith in Christ. You know that? I know you've talked to a lot of people and they didn't, it didn't, it, um, if you and I will just simply share our faith, in other words, I don't have to tell other people what they have to do, just what, what God has done in my life, how much my life, how radically <laughs> my life has been changed and all for the better, all of it for the good. And so if we share that message, we are his witnesses and uh, people will come to faith. People's eternal destiny will be changed because you shared something about your relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> so, um, we are in a great battle. There is an adversary. He goes about like a roaring lion, looking, seeking whom he may devour. So you gotta put on the whole armor. Um, and this morning we're gonna talk about, because what we've been kind of focused on for the last, wow, can you believe it's March, what? 15th? 12th? Can you believe it's March 12th already? Man, this year's just wailing on by. But anyway, here we are. We're like two and a half months into this. So I, I'm hopeful that we can kind of bring this to a conclusion here this morning um, in this message. God's were the ultimate spiritual weapon. Now, here's the primary focus I would like you to take away here this morning. This is the, this is the, uh, the thing to remember. This is the takeaway this morning. <clears throat> you can control the way you think. That is essential. Because the way that you think um, is essential to the life that you will live. The way you think is what sets the tone for the life that you will then walk out and live. And so getting our thinking right, and particularly getting our thinking aligned with the word of God, is what sets us up for success. Remember what God, we, we, we did that whole verse from, from Joshua, you know, only be strong and courageous. This word, um, th this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so shall you make your way prosperous, and so you shall have good success. So God spoke to Joshua and said, just keep your face in the book, just get, let that be the, the source of your meditation, and of, of your mindset and of your worldview. Let that establish the worldview and God can take care of the rest. <clears throat> Amen? Amen. Uh. Amen. Amen? Amen? All right, good, a little better, a little better. So here's the, uh, the thought. You can control the way you think. And that is the fundamental purpose of the word of God. That is what it's for. Think about it. You and I, when we are born into this world, all we have are the thoughts of people around us, things other human beings have shared with us, and the, the things that are going on in our own head. Okay, and oftentimes those things are off, or they're errant, or they're erroneous, or they're discouraged, or they're frustrated, or like, all kinds of things can be going on upstairs here, and then that can just wind up setting the tone for a, a really dysfunctional life. And then, but God has given his word so that we can then import what he has to say because what he has to say is true and it's loving and it's gracious and it's hopeful. And so if we, if we get God's word in our heart, if we get it in our mind, and it becomes that which really becomes our, our basis for our thinking, for our interactions with other people, we are on the road to success in life. Success as God defines it, not success as people define it. It doesn't matter if we're a success as human beings define it. It matters that at the end of the day or at the end of the road, the Lord Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Don't you want to hear that? 
Huh? That'll be, the, that'll be the best thing you ever heard. That'll be the best statement you ever heard. And so we can, we can set ourselves up for a successful moment there as the Lord speaks over our life when we first get to, to meet him. Um, because if we take the word of God and if we take our old, like the, the stinking thinking, you know, the depression, the discouragement. I mean, we live in a world, we live in a time where everything is so disorderly, everything is so discordant. I've never ever experienced a time in my life where, where, there, is, where there was open deception. And it, just, and it just went on. And of course, we have the people in the media that the Democratic Party can lie and they'll all swear to it. You know what I mean? That we're, it's, we're living in a time of enormous deception. I mean, how's this for a deception? You know, men can be women. They can, you know, they really can. They're, they're, they're confident. But of course, if you can't even define what a woman is, because you're not a, a biologist, oh. we're living in an insane moment. Yeah, I know, right? We're walking out on some thin ice here. Not in this crowd, though. Not in this crowd. But it's, it is so important that we are then grounding ourselves in truth because it's just lies everywhere. And everybody is going for it. People are falling for it. And it's being pushed and promoted by the schools, by the media, by everybody, uh, touting all the same falsehood. And people are just buying in. And that's because they don't know the word of God. If you know the word of God, you're dangerous because you can't be deceived. That's why in any totalitarian state ever, the first thing they removed was faith in God and people who preach the word of God, gone. Because if you really know the word of God, you are free. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you will know the, and the truth will. Okay, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then you don't have to be anybody's slave. You don't have to be anybody's lapdog. You don't have to kind of jump at, at every silly little thing that comes down the line because you know the truth. And knowing the truth makes a human being powerful. Powerful in, in the best possible way. So that's why we have spent so much time. <clears throat> so you can control the way you think. Now I put a bunch of things down here. Some are a little silly, but um, these are some things you cannot control, of which there is quite a multitude, but here are things you cannot control. Number one, you cannot control the past. You can't do anything about the way it's been or what you did or what happened to you in the past. It's, it cannot be controlled. You can't control the past. You also can't control the future. You may be able to set yourself up for a better one, but you can't control what kinds of things will be coming your way. You can't control other people's actions, how other people will treat you. You can't control other people's feelings, whether people like you or they dislike you. <clears throat> you can't control other people's thoughts and beliefs. You also can't control who you're related to. And... If this, this will be meaningful to somebody. You can't control cats. I mean, you just, now, I'm not a cat person. Do we have cat people here this morning? Okay, there we go. A few cat people around, right? Am I, is this true? Because I don't know. I wouldn't own a cat, so. Can you not control cats? No. No. You can't give them a pill either. Oh, you can't give them a pill? No. Nothing. Okay, it's completely uncontrollable. Okay, well, thank you, Pastor Joe, for that, that insight. This morning, <clears throat> bless you. Oh, okay, trick him. Yeah, trick him. Slip that pill in there somehow. Okay. Keep that in mind in case I ever get a cat. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so you also can't control the, the weather. You also can't control when you die. You can't control when other people die. Well, I don't know. Maybe that, that, that may be open to debate to some degree. You probably can't legitimately control when other people die, but you know, it, it could happen. <clears throat> anyway, um, you can't control natural disasters. You can't control the passing of time. I think that one may have been put in there by our vice president. She knows a great deal about the passing of time. Come on! Come on, who knows what I'm talking about, right? 
All right. I mean, silliest thing ever. They asked her something about, you know, to speak on the passage of time. And she says, the passing of time is very important. And we know that time passes. And when time passes along, that is like the passing of time. It's like, what are you talking <laughs> Right? If you saw it, it, it's just like, it's insane. It's nuts. Like I said, we live in some crazy times, some crazy times. Anyway, you can't control the fact that change is inevitable. You can't control the circumstances that come your way or that will come your way. You can't control physical and mental limitations and predispositions. You can't control the exact outcome of anything, ever. Okay? You can influence it, but you can't necessarily control it, and hopefully you are influencing it in the right direction. So there are tons of things that you just can't, they are just out of, out of your control. But there are some things that you can control, and we want to take a, the time this morning to take a look at those. So here are three things that you can control. Number one, you can control your attitude. You have jurisdiction and sovereignty over your attitude. Number two, you can control your efforts. How much effort you're going to put into something, how much work you're going to do. And number three, you can control your actions. <clears throat> but here's the thing I want you to notice. I'm going to, I'm going to put underneath those three, we'll do a few more slides, and under those I want to put verses of Scripture that in which God speaks to these particular ends and not only tells you or not only affirms the fact that you can control them, he tells you how. How you can control your attitude, how you can control your effort, how you can control your actions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so scripture encourages not only that we can, we can control these things, but tells us how to do it and all of it has to do with, with having a, a sound, solid knowledge of the word of God and of his ways. So let's go to the first one. You can control your attitude. Here's the, here's the passage, and I'm gonna give you this passage twice. <clears throat> the first, the first um, rendering of it is from the uh, J.B. Phillips translation. And I, I chose, in, in most cases, this passage from Philippians chapter two, most translators use the word mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You, most translations are translating it that way. But <clears throat> Phillips, and also the New American Standard, I believe, translate it with a, I think, what I think is a better word, attitude. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here's, here's this uh, passage from J.B. Phillips. <clears throat> Let Christ himself be your example as to what your attitude should be. So if you're wondering or if you're in doubt, you just have to ask yourself, do I have a Christ-like attitude about this? Is, does my attitude reflect Jesus in this matter? Okay, because we are told to let, um, let Christ himself be your example as to what your attitude should be. And then you, if you just go on in the next few verses, he completely lays it out, who being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Okay, so what should, be, what should my mindset be like? I should be humble. If Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, if Jesus who was, like that whole passage saying, starts out by saying, let this attitude be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, who being God himself did not consider equality with God something that he had to reach out for and something that he had to hold on to, something that he had to uh, proclaim about himself. He just knew who he was, right? So let that attitude, and even though he was God, he took upon himself, the, being found as a man, he became a servant, he humbled himself, and became obedient. So that's how I can know if my attitude is like the attitude of Christ Jesus. Then this is also the same verse <clears throat> found in, um, in the Living Bible. We're gonna look at a bunch of uh, verses this morning from the Living Bible. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so the first thing I can control is my attitude, and my attitude can directly be affected by my understanding of who Jesus is, and I can definitely go back to the Word, and I can get an attitude check. I can check myself before I wreck myself. I can get a checkup from the neck up, so to speak, right? Because I, because I can... I can 
internalize the word of God, I can internalize the very words of, the, of our Lord Jesus. <clears throat> so, first thing is attitude. Second thing that I can control is my effort, <clears throat> okay? Now, people will do lots of things and will exert a great deal of effort for a variety of different motivations. Some people wanna make a lot of money, some people wanna be very famous, some people you know, wanna achieve certain goals. So there's reasons why we would put effort behind things, but scripture gives us a whole different point of view as to why I should put my best effort into everything, <clears throat> whether I'm making a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me everybody, I'm really sorry. <clears throat> All right, a little better. Because um, there are many things that would motivate me to, to put in a lot of effort, but if they're all just worldly things that are gonna pass away, then why waste my energy? But here's, what, here's where how the word of God speaks to or, or directs the energy and the effort that I'm gonna put into something. He says this, <clears throat> whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to man knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. If you serve the Lord Christ on your job and you're putting in your best effort, you are doing spiritual work. Your work has just become ministry. Your work has just become your ministry. If you have that kind of an attitude, whatever you do, do it heartily, not for people, not for gain, not for profit, not, do it that's, that is a whole different motivation. Do it for the Lord. Why? What did he do for you? Right? What has he done for me? <clears throat> then I can do my best for him. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Everything I work so hard in this world, I'm going to kiss goodbye someday. Right? That's just the simple truth. <clears throat> I, I will leave it all behind. <clears throat> Good. But everything I do in the Lord, I will inherit for eternity. Think about that. Somebody once phrased it like this, only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done here for Jesus will last. So, my effort should be employed heartily as to the Lord, rather than to men, because I'm looking forward to receiving the reward of the inheritance. We, we kid around about it here because you know, we're, we're doing church stuff all the time. So we kind of kid about the fact that you know, when, when you see me in heaven, I'll have this gigantic crown you know, that will just like, I'll have to like, somebody will have to help me and hold it up to keep me from just falling over. No, probably not, because that, that, that crown will have been disposed of at the feet of Jesus, right? <laughs> well, no crowns, but anyway. Um, the Lord has promised to reward everything that we do in his name. So, whatever you do, do it with all your might, heartily as unto the Lord. And thirdly, your actions. <clears throat> Here's a passage from uh, Matthew chapter 5. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, what should motivate the actions that you're doing? Hopefully that someone will see you doing that. And then when they see you doing something good, when they actually catch you in the act of doing something good, they might just ask you, why are you doing that? Or what's, what, what's that all about? And bingo, there's your opportunity to be able to say, you know something, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm doing it the best I can. I'm letting my light shine before people. So I want people to see the good things that God is helping me or motivating me or giving me opportunity to do. Let your light so shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when you, when you know the word of God, a new heavenly reality like opens up all around you. It's, it's a higher reason for doing the things that I should be doing anyway, right? It's a, it's, it's a higher reason to have a, a good attitude. It's a higher reason to put forth my best effort. It's a higher reason to choose to do the best things I can, do the best actions that I can, because I know that it all matters, because it's all been, it's all being uh, written down. And so um, that's the value of knowing the Word of God. To not know the Word of God is then to simply be caught down here with all of the squabble, with all the craziness, with all of the, uh, with all the competition, right? And I'm, so I'm putting forth this effort, I'm putting forth 
whatever I'm doing, I'm doing just simply to get a bigger slice of the pie. And whatever I got to do to get a bigger slice of the pie, perfectly justified, because this is all it's about down here anyway. But once that window opens up and you get born again and you get saved and you realize, wow, here's a God who's watching over everything here. And I can really, I can serve him now. And then whatever, whatever happens now is mine eternally. I think that's a good deal. What is it, the, the Jim Elliott quote of, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We'll say that one more time. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the reward of spiritual service. That's the reward of being active and having the right attitude and doing the proper things in the kingdom of God. Here's a passage of scripture. We've looked at this one before, but it just kind of, it, 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 uh, it underscores this same thought. In uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. And of course, you know that is non-generic. The woman of God may be complete too. That the person of God is complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not about having a positive mental attitude. It's not about, you know, you really need to be a little more cheerful, you know, or you need to work just a little bit harder. It's not about human psychology. It's not about human methods and means by which we can achieve the things that um, are before us. It is by having an understanding and a knowledge of what God has said and then realizing, hey, I can get in on this thing. I can be a part of this thing. So that when we, when this is all done, like, I will have, I will have contributed one little block somewhere and it will have made a difference to this glorious thing that the Lord Jesus gave his life for, right? I can, I can give a cup of cold water in his name and my reward will be secure for all of eternity. So all of this plays uh, into this morning's message because Paul is going to say to us today, um, <clears throat> for my, these weapons are not carnal. You see, all those other things, you know, the positive mental attitude, various different psychological uh, motivators, you know, slick motivational speakers and things like that, all those things are, in essence, they're carnal. They're fleshly. They're of this present world. Some, some people are better than other people at, at, at doing what they do, but all of that is just simply human. And what God wants us to do, or what Paul is going to say, is that I may be a regular human being, and I am, but I don't, I don't function like a regular human being anymore. The weapons of my warfare are not like that, but they are mighty through God. So we'll get there this morning, Lord willing. <clears throat> okay, but behind all of these things, the real determiner of how you will lay hold of and maximize the things that are subject to your influence and control is your understanding, your knowledge, and your yieldedness, your submission, your obedience to what God has said in his word. And you can be sure that whenever you are seeking to align yourself with the word of God, you can be sure there will be a voice in your head saying, did God really say that? You know whose voice that is, right? right? That voice inside that doubts and that questions. Well, that was the first that's, that's the modus operandi of how the devil works. Throw that doubt in there. Throw that question mark. Did God really say that? And then, of course, that, you know, he looks, looks to just simply take away our motivation. <clears throat> so, um, anyway, on to, on to the weapons of our warfare. Okay, so here's the, here's the passage at hand. It is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 and 2. Oh, can I... Uh, can I encourage you, please, to bring your Bible to church? No. <laughs> I, you, you need to bring your Bible. To, how many have your Bible? Can you hold it up? Okay, we got, we got some. Good, pull it out of the case. All right, it's not bad. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Now, I do this 
because I think it helps to kind of bring us all together on one passage of Scripture, and so we can all kind of look at it. But you, whatever translation you have, you should actually take the time to open that Bible, find those things, see if you can find your way around, learn, your, learn how to navigate from one place to the next. It's very important that you can use your Bible in a way like that. And, and then the more, the more time you spend with it, the more familiar you will become, the more fluent you will become, the more adept you will, you will uh, become in terms of being able to have the word of God <clears throat> at your command. So here's Paul, and he's writing to these people at Corinth. We'll do a little background in a minute, but here's the, uh, here's the, the text in chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. That's not like the simplest rendering of that passage. So I, that's why I'm, I'm going to move it to the... Uh, to the Living Bible. We're going to get there. So we're going to read this a second time in the Living Bible <clears throat> because he, just, he, he gets to the heart of what Paul is trying to say. Okay, so a little background. For nine chapters in this book, 2 Corinthians, this is the second letter that Paul has written to these people of Corinth. For nine chapters, he's been pretty affirming, pretty nice. He had written his first letter to the people of Corinth, and without trying to go all through it, it was really just a letter of very strong, rather harsh correction. A lot of problems in the church in Corinth. They're doing communion bad. They're messing up the spiritual gifts. They are exalting, I'm of Paul, well, I'm of Apollos, well, I'm of Cephas. They had, they're, they're factioning off into different groups. There are all kinds of things that he's looking at, and he's, um, and, and he's trying to help them to get some things under control um, in their church. And so the first letter that he wrote to them, um, they, I mean, they, they even have a guy who's living with his father's wife, and nobody has challenged that. And Paul's heard about this, and he's thinking, how, how is this going on? How is it that you guys don't realize that this is a problem? He's living with it. I'm assuming that's not his mother. Okay, I'm presuming this is, you get the picture. Okay, so um, he, he wrote the first letter, and it was kind of harsh. <clears throat> and he wrote it, he even says so. I, I wrote it with, with like real fear and trembling because I, I didn't want to blow you out. I, wanted to, I had to say some difficult things, but I wasn't sure how you were going to receive them. Again, this, these are all people who are just new in the Lord, coming out of utter paganism, living in an extremely carnal place. Corinth is one, one of the most... Um, licentious cities of the ancient world. And so he's writing this to them, but he's kind of concerned. He sends the letter off, but he doesn't know how they're going to receive it. But they receive it. That's the thing. They hear what he has to say, and they get after it. They receive it with joy. They receive it with a ready mind. They receive it with a repentant heart and a repentant spirit. And Paul hears about this. And so he writes back to them. And when he writes back to them, he tells you, I am so thankful as to the way that you have received what it was that I wrote. Because I, I, I was concerned when I wrote it to you, but knowing now how, you, how you've responded to it just fills my heart with joy and, and, and has corrected a whole bunch of things there in, uh, in your church fellowship. So that has been his basic tone for about nine chapters. But now all of a sudden he's going to change his tone. His tone is going to get considerably more stern, more severe, well, the reason why his, he now is going to kind of take a different tone in what it is that he's talking to these people is because after he left, and this happened over and over and over again in Paul's ministry, and I, I think um, that it, it is what he refers to when he talks about a thorn in his flesh. There was a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan sent to buffet me or sent to, sent to beat me up. And everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. People were getting saved, coming to the Lord, and, and wonderful things were happening. And as soon as he would split, as soon as he would leave town, in would come this other crew. And the other crew, they had a different message. They were preaching a different gospel. Very similar gospel, but their gospel was this. First, you have to become Jewish. 
and you'll have to wear the right clothes and get the right haircut and you'll have to eat the right foods and you'll have to obey all the laws of Moses. That's the doorway in and then you can become a Christian. And Paul is outraged by that. He is utterly outraged that people have put this barrier of religious works in front of faith in Christ. Because in reality, when you believe and you enter into faith, that's all of it. The works will all come, all the other things will happen because your faith has pointed you in the right direction, then the word of God instructs and advises and directs and then works follow. But these people were putting all of the works up front and saying, when you, when you get done with all this stuff, then you can really be a Christian. And so, Wherever Paul went, after he was done, people would come in with this kind of a message because they really believed it was right. They really believed that you couldn't just, by faith? You mean to tell me that you are going to be like fully accepted and redeemed and welcomed into the family of God just simply by faith? By believing? By simply acknowledging what Jesus did on the cross? It seems absurd, doesn't it? It seems too easy. It seems way too easy. It is way too easy. That's what's so amazing about this. That's, God has made it that easy so it would be, so that everybody could come with no barriers. The only thing that we have to do is believe. And that brings you in to the fullness of all of this. And this idea of other people coming in and saying, well, now, you know, you're going to have to start coming to church every Sunday and you're going to have to start, you know, you're going to have to stop doing that and you won't be able to go there anymore and that's got to go. And, you know, laying out all of these basics, that is not Christianity. Christianity is put your trust in Jesus Christ and then let him begin to speak into your life. Let his spirit begin to lead and direct. Let his word begin to inform and direct and, that's, and, and the process will move forward all of its own. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. But I better get on with it here. So, <clears throat> so these Judaizers have, ins- have attacked Paul. They have insulted his apostleship. Okay, they have demeaned his apostles. He's not a real apostle. He didn't have any letter from the people of Jerusalem. Everything about this guy, they are trying to make Paul look bad. And you'll see that as we go through this whole section again. And, and he's not, I don't think that he cares that they're trying to make him look bad. In other words, it's not about his reputation or about you know, his, his ministry. It's that they are undermining his message and they're undermining his authority, and that will make that will be that will place a barrier between the message that he has to share and the people who desperately need to hear it. And that's what he's that's what Paul is angry with in the people when he writes to people in Galatia. Same deal. There are people that are in there and they're telling you, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. And he says, No. Anybody who comes in with a different message like that, anybody who comes in with a different gospel, let him be eternally condemned. So So Paul is very jealous to guard his message because it is the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everybody, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For therein the righteousness of God is proclaimed from faith to faith. So what he is telling the people of Corinth is, when I get there, I'm not gonna back down. When I get there, we're going to have some confrontation. You don't think that I'm that kind of a guy, but because what people have been saying about him is, look at this guy is nothing. This guy, he's not even a good preacher. You'll see, preach. This guy doesn't preach. He's not. He's not even a good teacher. And what 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 authority does he have? And his presence is contemptible. Right? And so they're, they're doing everything possible to undermine the work that he has done there in Corinth. And so he is saying to them, when I get where you are, I hope that I don't have to get there, and I hope I don't have to have the attitude that I'm feeling right here, right now, and I hope I don't have to get like real strong and real ugly with people who are trying to interfere with the message that I've preached. I don't want to come in that attitude, but I got weapons. I've got weapons, and they're not carnal weapons. See, if he was just concerned about his own reputation, his own, you know, like, uh, his own, um, you know, what, something about his own person, right? 
um, that, that he would have come in and he would have debated them or something like that. But he said, I, got, I have things that I have, I, the weapons that I have are not carnal, but they are mighty. They are mighty through God, and they do certain things. They pull down strongholds. That'd be a good thing to preach on maybe next week. They pull down strongholds. They cast down imaginary things that people have in their minds that they think are things that are so important. They cast down imaginations. They obliterate every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. But there's no time this morning for me to get into that because we got places to go. So anyway, he appeals to them. You'll notice, and that's why I underline the thing. I appeal to you in the meekness of and the gentleness of Christ. You know, this is the only place where Jesus describes himself. One place in the uh, New Testament where Jesus describes himself. Matthew chapter 11. And, And what he says of himself is the following. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So here's Jesus, again, who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant, being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself. I need to learn some things from Jesus, right? You guys are terrible, man, right? Yeah. Yeah, holy mackerel. Bind though, you're just so caught up, you're so spellbound. And, and, uh-uh, uh-uh, right? But he is, um, so he, he is saying, uh, come unto me, you that are la- all you that labor, you're heavily laden, you're all burdened down, you're all bummed out, you're all tired, you're all sorrowful, you're all sad, you're broke, busted, and disgusted, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he says, come to me, uh, all you that labor and heavily laden, I will give you rest. Come and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. Those two things, that's the self-description of Jesus. I am meek and lowly. And that word meek should not be confused with weak. It means exactly the opposite, actually. Meek is the opposite of weak. Meek is the Greek word praus. Praus means tamed. Animals that were domesticated. Thank you. Good morning, my little granddaughter. Praus was spoken of of an an animal who had been broken and domesticated. So you see, like, there's there's a guy back here by Cozy Lake, and he's got these monster plow horses. Anybody seen them? I mean, they're huge, you know what I mean? Huge bodies on them, huge legs and all that, right? That, That animal could do all kinds of damage, but it's under control. Because it's tamed. So when Jesus says, come and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, that's who Jesus was. He was tamed. He was power under control. That's the idea. That's what meekness is, power under control. So when Paul uses this, it's very appropriate that Paul uses, I I appeal to you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That is the way. It's kind of, it's going to be the first point that um, in terms of the weapons of our warfare, this, that will be the first point to consider. That whatever I go into, in whatever way I go into, whatever this, the situation or struggle is about, the first thing that's got to happen is my attitude's got to be meek and lowly. I got to have a humble mind. I got to have a humble attitude in order to be successful as a <coughs> spiritual warrior. So, Gentle and lowly equals meek and, and uh, gent- meekness and gentleness. So it's all about attitude. So here we go. Here's Paul. Um, we're going to do. Th- we're going to do it again. Oh, this is this is the this is the New King James version, and then we will then we'll get to the next one. If you can figure that out. Okay. So he's addressing the Paul the false teachers, and he's letting them know, I'm coming to do some business. I'm, I'm coming there uh, to let you know, to confront. So here's, good, there we are. So f- for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience 
of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now again, that is just, to me, it's just not as clear as it might be. It's a little, you have to read it and go, what? So anyway, I wanna take a look um, at a different translation because one thing that I found interesting is Paul has just given us this whole section of, of, of scripture here and I think if I were listening, I would have went, Paul, I missed something here. What did you say those weapons are? I didn't. So it, we, have to, we have to kind of infer. What are these weapons that he's talking about? Because it's not like, you know, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, he lays them out. You know, hold up the seal of faith, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth. You know, boom, 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 boom. He's, he's laying it right out. Here it's a little more, it's a little more vague. It's a little more open to interpretation. And so <clears throat> what I'm doing this morning is... It's interpreting. <laughs> so here we go. Here's the passage in the Living Bible. I think you'll find it's a little more. <clears throat> Can you read that? I didn't realize that was going to be that dark. Is that hard to read? Yeah? Okay. What's Oh, yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, now here's, what, here's how it reads in the, living, uh, in the Living Bible. I plead with you. Yes, I, Paul, and I plead gently, as Christ himself would do. Yet some of you are saying, Paul's letters are bold enough when he's far away. But when he gets here, he'll be afraid to raise his voice. I hope I won't need to show you, when I come, how harsh and rough I can be. I don't want to carry out my present plans against some of you who seem to think my deeds and words are merely those of an ordinary man. It is true that I am an ordinary, weak human being, but I don't use human plans and methods to win my battles. I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds. These weapons can break down every proud argument against God and every wall that can be built to keep men from finding him. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose heart's uh, desire is obedience to Christ. I will use these weapons against every rebel who remains after I have first used them on you yourselves and you surrender to Christ. A little bit more from this passage. <clears throat> the trouble, oops, the, the trouble with you is that you look at me and I seem weak and powerless, but you don't look beneath the surface. Yet if anyone can claim the power and authority of Christ, I certainly can. I may seem to be boasting more than I should about my authority over you, authority to help you, not to hurt you, but I shall make good on every claim. I say this so that you will not think that I am blustering when I scold you in my letters." Okay, so people have been kind of trying to undermine his ministry, and now he's coming to town, and when he comes to town, he's going to do business with some people who are trying to mess up his, mess up his, um, the work that he has done. So, the weapons start with the first thing that, that um, I, I, I've already mentioned, but the very first weapon in the spiritual toolbox or quiver or whatever we want to use, oh, did I not... Oh, I didn't, I didn't put that up there? Okay, missed it. The first weapon is being meek and gentle. Here's a passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago. For the servant of the Lord must not strive, but must be patient with all men in meekness, instructing those who oppose, if perhaps God will grant them repentance, that they may escape the trap of the devil who have been taken captive by him to do his will. So it's essential. If I'm going to have an influence, if I'm going to be a useful player in the kingdom of God, if I'm going to be influential with people, the first thing I gotta have is an attitude like Christ. I, gotta have a, I need to have a Christ-like attitude, an attitude that is meek and an attitude that is gentle. Secondarily, second weapon is speaking the truth. What Paul is telling them he is going to do, when I get there, I'm going to speak the truth. Okay, speaking the truth is a spiritual weapon. Speaking the truth is a good idea. Speaking the truth will keep you out of a lot of trouble. 
So it is important that we are, we are always speaking the truth, and speaking the truth has a positive value, has a positive benefit, particularly where there are relationships involved, because speaking the truth is the path towards maturity in, in any relationship, in any relationship that, that you have. If you can't speak the truth in a relationship, maybe in your marriage, you can't speak the truth in a, in a, in a job setting where you are. If you can't really say what you really think, in your heart. Now granted, you have to be tactful and you have to be wise and you have to wait for a moment. You can't just like shoot your mouth off all the time. But if you can't say what you really think, your relationship is going nowhere. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter four, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Is that what it is? Yeah, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth. When you are speaking the word of God, you are speaking the truth. Because Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so as we are sharing the word of God, we are speaking the truth. And it's important that we are speaking truth as, a, as just a general aspect of the lives that we are living. Because speaking the truth will cause relationships to develop and flourish and grow, and being unable to speak the truth will be the death of a relationship. Third, third weapon of warfare, fighting in prayer. Okay, taking that thing that you're struggling with, taking that thing that you're burdened by, taking that thing that you're worried about. It, he says, you know, that worry is useless. Worry is useless energy. It doesn't change anything. To worry about it and fret about it and stew about it, all of that is a, waste, a complete waste of time. Instead of doing all that, he says, by all things in prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So being able to take everything to God and just lift it up and let it go. Turn it loose. Put it in God's hands. That, that is the antidote for worry and an anxious mind. Fighting in prayer. Here's, what, here's the way this is phrased in Ephesians chapter six. Pray all the time. Yeah. Ask God for anything in line with the Holy Spirit's wishes. Plead with them, reminding him of your needs. And keep praying earnestly for all Christians everywhere. Pray for me too. And ask God to give me the right words as I boldly tell others about the Lord and as I explain to them that his salvation is for the Gentiles too. So the weapons of our warfare, being meek and gentle, number two, speaking the truth, number three, fighting a spiritual battle in prayer. And then fourth, and this kind of wraps up our entire month and two months and a half of teaching, the last thing is skillfully, graciously wielding the word of God skillfully, graciously, right? We, it, it, it's easy to just slam people over the head with Bible bullets, so to speak. But when we can actually offer, you know, pe- people want to know the word of God. There was a, you, many of you remember Wally Schwartz. So Wally Schwartz now is pastor over in you, um, the United Methodist Church over in Stockholm. You're not allowed to go there. I told them, see any of my people, you send them right home. Now I'm only teasing. But um, Wally, uh, now Wally is a used car salesman during the day. So it's not usually like the person everybody, you know, there's, there's, a certain, there's a certain onus to being a used car salesman. He's the absolute, absolute antithesis of all of that. But he has this thing he gives out. They're little, like little business cards, but it's called the word for today. People ask him for them every day. Because people want to know what the word of God has to say. It, it, it's a great little gig that he's got going on because he's got these things and he'll walk up and it's just a little, little file card, but it'll say, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Here you go. Little things like that. So being able to skillfully, graciously wield the word of God. The word of God is <clears throat> alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword and it goes down. It says, God says, my word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish what I have purposed it to accomplish and it will fulfill the plan that I have for it. So when you and I are skillfully using the word of God, that word of God isn't just bouncing off people. 
whether they acknowledge it or not, that word of God is going in. And the Spirit of God is going to take that word and he's going to bring it back and he's going to bring it back and he's going to remind you know what? Some other person's going to come along six months from now or a year from now and put another word in them and another word. And ten years later, I got, a, I got a telephone call ten years after I got saved, almost ten years to the day, by the guy who was the drummer in the band that I was in when I uh, got saved and then left all that life behind. I pick up the phone and it's, it's, this, it's this guy, Rob. I, don't, I didn't know that. I don't know where, you know, we, this is the day before there are phone things to tell you who, who's what and no cell phones at this time. I pick the phone, he goes, hey, Steve, how you doing, brother? I'm going, brother? I don't think we were like in brother status when, when that all came to an end. We, we were kind of, we were close friends because we were like bandmates, but the fact that I came into the kingdom and got saved, that kind of, that, that put me in a whole different universe than everybody else. And so when this guy called me 10 years, but that's the way it works. You plant a seed and then you walk away. You, you say, you give some, it's it, some little thing. You, you, you impart that and then you let God do something skillfully, graciously, wielding the word of God. I got to move on here, okay? <clears throat> and you will need the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so that's, those are the four weapons that we have a, a, extracted from this first, from, from second Corinthians chapter 10. First, being meek and gentle. Number two, speak the truth. Number three, fight in prayer. And number four, skillfully, graciously, use, apply, serve up the word of God. Offer it graciously and generously. Amen? That's where we are this morning. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. These are not things that the world has thought about using yet, and they won't use them, and they wouldn't if they could, because they don't understand it, they don't get it. Right, but you and I get it, and so we have weapons that the world knows nothing about, but these weapons are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, they're not like the things that regular people do, it's not psychology, it's not brainwashing, it's, it is offering people the same blessing, the same benefit that we ourselves have received. Somebody has defined Christianity as one beggar telling another beggar where the food is. And that's how it works. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for giving us your word. We take it so much for granted, so much for granted. And we're often just so lethargic when it comes to taking the time to really think about what it is that you've said. But you've given us the whole picture. You've, you've, you've called the whole play. It's the whole playbook is right there at our disposal. But for the sake of just taking the time to, to get into it. And it refreshes. And it encourages. And it uplifts. And it exhorts. And it helps and it corrects and it straightens me out because I'm easily misled. I'm easily waylaid down some silly path, some pursuing some unnecessary thing. But your word cuts right to the quick, cuts right to the core and enables life to then be organized and grounded on who you are, what you've done and the eternal hope and future that we have, that we share together with you, that we will forever be your family. Amen. So Lord God, we pray that you will just take all this, this emphasis and all that we've done here, that it will not return to you void, but that everybody in our little church family here would just have a renewed zeal, a renewed zeal for your word, a renewed fire for your word, place of prayer for the ability to minister your word and, and, and to cultivate a Christ-like attitude so that we can be useful in our service for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So thank you, Lord. You've provided us with everything we need, according to what Peter says. You have provided everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And in this, there are faithful promises by which we can be made partakers of the divine nature and escape 
the corruption that is in this messed up world because of wrong desires lust. So, thank you, Lord, for what you've given to us. May we, may we put it to maximum use. May your word, as David said, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, Lord God, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart. May we do that, Lord, and then may we just be walking vessels of the Holy Spirit with a word in season and out, out of season to say the thing that somebody needs to encourage, to uplift, to strengthen, to correct, to reprove, whatever. But to do it all graciously, cheerfully, generously, wisely, and in the spirit of Christ himself. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you're doing. Thank you for calling us into your fellowship. Bless our efforts, Lord God. I would pray that, this, that, that you wouldn't be able to get a seat in this place. I thank you for people that you're bringing in and new families. And that's wonderful. I pray that, Lord, this place would just be packed. That be people outside watching me on TV. <laughs> oh, sure enough. So thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you for calling us into your family. Bless us as we go forward from this place and seek to serve you and seek to serve others and seek to help and strengthen others and hopefully to lead others to come to know you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.